0: Commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher verse 28 through 34. This is Our Numinous Nature, and I'm your host, Philippe. We'll be hearing the profound stories of people with a deep connection to the natural world, from herbalists to hunters, wildlife rehabilitators to trappers, artists to homesteaders. The list goes on. My hope is to thread a needle that weaves together the many nature-related passions through stories of reverence. In nature, I've found meaning, a richness for life that grows with each new day. Maybe you feel the same, or maybe you long to. On this week's podcast episode about the Hatfields and McCoys, we have music again by our caving friend, Earl Suter. What you heard just there was Shady Grove performed on the mandolin. And I'm going to play a few other renditions on banjo and mandolin by Earl throughout this episode. So today's guest is Jack Hatfield. Jack is the great, great, great grandson of... Devil Ants Hatfield, who is the legendary patriarch of the family. I didn't really know anything about this famous story, and I was very excited to learn it through Jack, which you'll hear. Uh, Jack has started a brand new, um, small, very grassroots museum called the Hatfield McCoy Foundation and Museum in Logan County, West Virginia. And He has huge aspirations for that, which he talks about on the podcast. So I am hoping him the best of luck. And if you're driving through Southern West Virginia, definitely go check it out and say hello. Now, if you want to check out Jack's museum in advance, you can go to HatfieldMcCoyFoundation.org. They've got a gift shop if you want to get a t-shirt or more excitingly than that, you can buy the Hatfield Family Cookbook that is legitimately passed down through the Hatfield family. Um, you can get that, that he published, self-published. You can get it on the website for $20. So you'll hear him talk more about it on the podcast. So that would be really cool to help support his museum. Now, when we were speaking, there was a movie I could not think of the name of, and the name of that one is Clint Eastwood's The Outlawed Josie Wales. Super good movie, one of his best ones. So before this episode, I really wanted to talk about a handful of things and do a few announcements. For one, um, this episode was recorded on my way home from the last podcast, which was with Stevie Holbrook, who is an Eastern Kentuckian. We were talking about the floods, which were literally at his doorstep. And since that podcast, he's still going through it. He ended up as that podcast came out, he ended up in the hospital for two or three days with a staph infection that was flood related. Got home from that, had to have a surgery, and um, his dog got bit by a copperhead down on the creek w- where the creek that flooded. Uh, so it's it like he told in the podcast. He told the myth of Sisyphus rolling the rock for eternity, and it, that just seems like that that is the case. Um, if you still want to donate or volunteer um, down in Kentucky, I would still look at Team Eastern Kentuckian Flood Relief Fund. You can Google that, and it says on that website that there are no administrative fees, that every single dollar is going towards the historic flooding. Um, Okay, next. Okay, so this podcast is coming out about one week and one day away from what looks to be such an exciting event by our new friend and past podcast guest. So if you listen to the episode about maple syrup production in Highland County, Virginia, that was with Tim Duff, who is uh, a police officer and, and for a time was the sheriff of that county. And he is absolutely a, a history buff. And he is going to be having a trades fair on his farm on September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So that's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, a week from now. So his whole thing is he loves historical accuracy. So he is going to have over 20 now vendors who will be in period clothing, even down to having period tents. They're going to be riflesmiths, blacksmiths, furniture makers, a corn husk doll maker, handcrafted baskets. There's gonna be a chair caner, leather worker, horners, a spinner, and the Almish will be cooking lunch on Saturday. And he even has some old time music coming in, I believe for Saturday, but maybe also for Friday. We will be there on Saturday, September 3rd. Vivian, my lady, is a artist and oil painter, and she will be painting me in borrowed um, long hunter attire that I'm borrowing from Tim with his old 1800s rifle, um, with a muzzle loader, and she will be painting me. Uh, so that is going to be really cool. We're really excited for this event. If, n- if not just for the fact it sounds super cool. Um, and Tim said that it is going to be at the level of Williamsburg regarding historical accuracy, he even has someone from the Smithsonian coming to do a lecture. I can't quite remember on what. But more than all of these things that sound interesting about it, what what I'm almost more excited about than anything else is, is Tim, who's probably seen some rough stuff as a police officer. When he talks about history, he is illuminated. Like his eyes are like twinkling. And it is it is rare to see such intense joy in, in a man of... Is late '50s '60s, so I am just so excited to see what such passion brings to an event. If nothing else, I'm just so pumped on behalf of Tim. So, if if any of that sounds interesting to you, one you can go back and listen to that podcast where he talks a bit about um, organizing the event. That was Tim Duff's, and it was um, old time sugar, the old time sugar house. And if you want more information on how to get there and everything else, just go to visitfairlawnfarm.com. Fair as in F-A-I-R, visitfairlawnfarm.com. So before getting into a little intro thoughts, a little rant about today's episode and kind of the symbolism behind it, I wanted to say thank you to the Patreon patrons if you're interested in helping me out, being able to travel and get a tenting site, you know, tent site or get a hotel every once in a blue moon, but just to get to all these guests, super helpful if you can help on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash our numinous nature. And the folks who have helped out at the highest tier are Jess Paget, Rachel Hawkshaw, Ann Stanley, Bailey Grenert, Franklin Renshaw. Jamie Nudd, James Mann, Rambler, Ryan Goechner, Tyler Lively, Waterlight, and everyone else at the lower tiers. Thank you so much. Really helping to keep me going. So Jess Paget, one of the Patreon patrons, has helped me with this episode by finding a handful of historical newspaper clippings about the Hatfields and McCoys. Um, I think in her own search for her own ancestry and family story, um, she's been digging through newspapers and and online and found me a whole bunch of amazing things to read. And I just love hearing how old news was written because it was much more literary and written so beautifully. I mean, it's almost harkens to almost how um, Mark Twain or... Cormac McCarthy would write, I and mean, it has a, a folky and, like I said, literary vibe. So those are so cool to hear. Before we get into that, I thought I would say a little something about what I was thinking about the entire time while learning about the Hatfields and McCoys. What kept coming to me was the biblical idea, concept, quote of, love thy neighbor. And that quote in the intro of this episode, I had only read for the first time while doing this episode, so I wasn't sure of the context in the Bible of love thy neighbor, and it's actually love thy neighbor as yourself, which is even more profound. I thought it would be interesting to play the two characters on one's shoulders, the devil and the angel, which give the person in the middle advice. You know, they're both whispering in our ears. So as the the Bible quote says, love thy neighbor. Obviously that's an incredible thing to aspire to. And having just moved to a new community, um I'm really trying to make a great effort to do that because it's not really something that existed in the suburbs a little bit, you know, as growing up in the suburbs you have so many friends um in your neighborhood, you up uh, playing in the cul-de-sac, you know, going over to your friends' houses. In the city, there's not much there's not much. You don't really know your neighbors. I lived in New York City for 10 years. You you barely know them. You see them passing every once in a while. You don't learn their names. At least that was not my experience. But, you know, this love thy neighbor as yourself, so much easier to say than to actually do. Of course, 99% of people, wherever you are, in the city, in the country, in the suburbs, 99% of people, are wonderful people who are kind, and if not kind, at least polite, and you know we can live amongst each other. But if I were to kind of play the devil in this scenario, it's like, how about that 1%? Because why is this Hatfield and McCoy story so intriguing? It's intriguing because we all can relate to having that neighbor that really pushes our buttons. If you've lived long enough, I assume the majority of us have experienced that. And the Hatfield and McCoy story perhaps is intriguing because it is the shadow version. It's if you listen to the voice of the devil on your shoulder and you lived it out completely and fully. And it's the opposite of this Bible quote, love thy neighbor It's destroy thy neighbor. The Hatfields and the McCoys literally trying to kill each other as much as possible to a certain extent. So obviously, people don't do that anymore. But still, it can be so hard to love thy neighbor. I've talked to many people on some podcast listeners I've talked directly to on Instagram, and they've shared experiences of, you know, they're living out in the country, they're a young couple, they've got kids, and their next door neighbors are meth heads who are Maybe making drugs next door, but certainly doing drugs and having really shady people come over. And there you are trying to raise young children around some shady, creepy stuff. Maybe someone has said something to you or yelled a threat. And perhaps those folks are using firearms in unsafe and illegal ways. I've had someone tell me that some shady folks will drive down their dirt road and Shoot into the woods. It's not public land. It's not the national forest that you're allowed to hunt in. Love thy neighbor. But what if they're a different religion than you are? People don't really care about that too much today, but back in the day, that would have been a struggle. When I read the book, The First Frontier, it talked about the early people, the early Europeans who came to America, that religion and nationality were the main sources of difference and tension. It was less race related and was more um, religion related. So pagan, Christian, or you know Puritan, Quaker. Just imagine how hard it would have been to be a good neighbor back in Europe during all of the religious conflicts between the Catholics and the Protestants, which was created wars and persecutions and just endless bloodbaths. And then I've read about the Muslim sultan, the Muslim sultans of Morocco, who with such had such hatred for Christianity and enslaved much of um, the coastal Europeans. So the fact that we really don't care anymore if our neighbors are uh, of any religious creed is quite astounding that we've developed to that level. Or what if today... What if your neighbor is hanging a flag of the opposite political party of you? Well, then it makes it a little harder to love thy neighbor. Or what if your neighbor shot a deer on your property over the fence line or cut a tree on your property? Then it's a little tougher to love thy neighbor. Or if you live in the city and you wake up early every morning, but your neighbors party hard all night long, which I certainly and guilty of. I did that a lot through my 20s, not giving a shit about the neighbors in my apartment building. Well, then it might be a little bit harder to love thy neighbor. And then that angel on our shoulder is telling us to love thy neighbor as yourself. In doing this episode, having to reflect on that biblical quote, that this is the second commandment. So after the love of the divine, to worship the divine, to appreciate the divine, God in the Bible. To me, it means the mystery, the mystery of life, gratitude for the mystery of life, devotion to your calling and meaning. That's kind of maybe what that means to me. This, after that, the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So how important that is. And now for an enlightening quote by one of my spiritual heroes, Carl Jung. A man who is unconscious of himself acts in a blind, instinctive way and is, in addition, fooled by all the illusions that arise when he sees everything that he is not conscious of in himself coming to meet him from outside as projections upon his neighbor. Now, Jung's concept of the shadow is one that has been so helpful and resonated for me over the the years. The shadow is what is unconscious in ourselves. It has positive and negative traits. The positive of our shadow are things like our creative potential. We might have a painter, a musician, um, an outdoors person, um, a farmer All these things might be in us that we don't know that they're in us that want to be expressed. We often project our positive shadow on our idols and our heroes. The person we look up to so much, well, those are traits of you. Now there's the negative side of the shadow. And for the majority of people who are good people, their shadow is a dark one. It's the things we don't want to know about ourselves. Perhaps one is jealous one is greedy, one is hateful or gossipy. I, I for one, have found that I can be quite stingy. That's not a very nice trait, and I've found that out. Um, I can be jealous, especially in in romance. Jealousy has come up, whereas I never had that when I was young. And over my 20s, I realized, oh my God, I can be jealous. So these are our shadow traits. And this goes deeper and deeper until we can even touch on what makes a human evil is our shadow. And no one wants to think that we have evil potential within us. So we project that. And you see that during war times. We see that with, well, that, that nation, well, they're evil. So we, we can be okay and justified in, in completely destroying them. They're evil. I'm not evil. Evil. You see that with political movements and political parties. The other side, they're evil. I'm not evil. I'm I'm a good person. They're the bad people. This is all shadow projection. So perhaps this love thy neighbor quote is addressing how we can project our own shadow upon our neighbors. And of course, this is theoretical and psychological. And when you're really in the midst of it, which I have been, I have had I've had rough encounters with neighbors. I've had, back when I lived in Brooklyn, there was a guy who would always come and uh, from a drug house. He would always come and ask me to borrow money. And he did it over and over again and was kind of using me until I finally confronted him and put an end to that scenario. So perhaps the more we can be aware and integrate our own shadows the less we will project it upon our neighbors. And there will be less conflict and less war. Easier said than done. And reading a little bit more from Jung. To love thyself means to love the fullness of yourself, our bad traits and all. You see, the self is such a disagreeable thing in a way, so realistic, because it is what you really are. Not what you want to be or imagine you ought to be, and that reality is so poor, sometimes dangerous, and even disgusting, that you will quite naturally make every effort not to be yourself. Therefore, the idea has been invented quite suitably that it is even very bad morally to be yourself. You should not think of yourself, you should love your brother or your neighbor, but not yourself. But unfortunately, Christ said you should love your brother or your neighbor, as yourself? And how can you love your brother if you don't love yourself? Or how can you forgive your brother if you don't forgive yourself? A custom in Indian tribes, when a man is not at one with himself on the day of the council meeting, he doesn't go to the meeting, for he recognizes that he is not fit to be just and impartial and true if he is fighting himself. It is such a difficult and disagreeable task to love oneself that if you can do that, you can love any toad because you are worse than the most disgusting animal. (laughs) Well, that is the shadow. That is the shadow he's talking about. Now, it is utterly astounding to me that on this episode of the podcast, towards the end, that the main character of this episode, Devil Ants Hatfield the guy who kind of instigated a lot of this neighborly tribal warfare, family warfare, that at the end of his life, he was baptized in the creek in front of his home. That to me is the symbol right there to love yourself. And it took a while and there were many heinous and bloody deeds, but it's absolutely fascinating that the devil turn to God. Okay, let's get into some wild and wonderful newspaper clippings from the late 1800s about a pack of wild, wild men. The Evening Bulletin, Maysville, Kentucky. January 13th, 1888. A second battle. Between the McCoy and the Hatfield factions in Kentucky, three killed. Catletsburg, Kentucky. January 3rd. The War of Extermination goes bravely on between the McCoys of Pike County, Kentucky and the Hatfields of Logan County, West Virginia. As soon as the last sad rites of the late butchery were over, the McCoys organized a posse and visited the Hatfield settlement in West Virginia for the purpose of annihilating the gang. The posse visited the Hatfield house, and finding no one at home, they repaired to the woods to meditate for a few moments. Their secrecy was of short duration, for the Hatfield gang was soon upon them and a regular war ensued. After the smoke of the battle had cleared away, it was found that the Hatfield party was badly worsted, and three of their number were killed, while none of the McCoy Posse were hurt. Those known to be killed were Johnson Hatfield, Thomas Chambers, and James Vance. Vance was shot seven times. Satisfied with their day's work, the McCoy Posse returned to their settlement to await developments. Vance has killed several men in the McCoy neighborhood, and had to leave in consequence. He has been a bold, daring, desperate fellow. The authorities are powerless, and the war will doubtless be waged until one side or the other is completely exterminated, as no one in authority seems to care. This was the case in the Jones Hall War in Knot County, and all are satisfied at its termination after scores had been killed. The greatest excitement prevails in the neighborhood, and the end is not yet, as there is bad blood on both sides. Another Kentucky War. An old feud which results in a series of murders. Catletsburg, Kentucky, January 9th, 1888. A crime growing out of an old feud has been committed on the Black Burr Fork of Pond Creek in Pike County. The work is of the notorious Hatfield gang. Five years ago, in an election row, three McCoy brothers fatally stabbed Hatfield, The latter's relatives caught the three McCoys, tied them to a tree, and shot them to death. The war has been kept up since, and the latest chapter has just been heard from. A few nights ago, the Hatfields set fire to the house of Randall McCoy. His eldest daughter, Alifara, was the first to open the door, and by the light of her burning home, the innocent young girl was shot dead. Her brother Calvin and her mother followed, only to perish in the same way. The desperate and desolate father, Randall McCoy, reckless of his own fate after the slaughter of his innocent ones, dashed from their funeral pyre into the midst of the murderous gang, unhurt by their volley of bullets and partially avenged his wrongs by killing one of the gang named Chambers by a well-directed bullet, and shot Cap Hatfield in the shoulder. The rest of the cowardly assassins fled. Rewards aggregating $2,700 are offered by the state of Kentucky for the arrest of the Hatfields, But they are fortified in the wilds of West Virginia, and no one cares to risk his life in pursuing them. Already the blood of Mr. McCoy's wife, a fair young daughter, and three sons has paid the penalty for that one death five years ago. Who can blame the half-crazed man if his future desolate life shall be devoted to avenging them? The Hatfield Gang, several of them in the Louisville Jail, all protest their innocence. Louisville, Kentucky, February 20th, 1888. The West Virginians known as the Hatfield Gang attracted much attention in the county jail throughout the day. They were placed in cells with other prisoners and were up bright and early. These men have the reputation of being desperados, but their appearance would hardly indicate that any of them were cutthroats, ambush assassins, and murderers. Valentine Hatfield appears to be the leader of the gang, and while having more intelligence than the others, seems to be an inoffensive and quiet old justice of the peace. He claims to know nothing of the many heinous crimes with which he is charged, and professes to be a much-injured individual. He dresses fairly well for a mountaineer, speaks slowly, and uses good language. It is claimed Hatfield has five living wives and 30-odd living children, but of this he will not speak, but slyly winks when asked concerning his fascinating ways and seems proud of his conquests. The next most noticeable of the prisoners is old man Randall McCoy. He is about 65 years old, bent with cares and sorrows, and withal a most miserable-looking creature. His face is one mass of heavy wrinkles, and his eyes are dull and dim. In an interview, he asserts that Valentine Hatfield was the leader and instigator of all the trouble between the Hatfield and McCoy factions. As he related how his four sons and one daughter had been mercilessly butchered, his wife hit in the head with a huge bludgeon and his homestead burned to the ground, the old man shed tears and cried as if his heart was cracking. He says that he could have murdered Hatfield when he had him and his fellow prisoners, but that even with his family butchered like hogs in a slaughterhouse, he could not crimson his hands and soul with human blood. He seems entirely broken down and claims to be innocent of all the crimes charged to his account. The men spend their time in walking through the halls of the jail. About the only living one among the lot is Moses Christian. He is an expert fiddler and saws away at his instrument all the time, while some others of the common prisoners dance jigs and breakdowns much to the amusement of the many visitors who through curiosity have visited the jail throughout the entire day.
1: Sarah Ann, West Virginia, which is the hideout and home place of Devilance Hatfield, uh, patriarch of the Hatfield McCoy feud, which of course is located in the Great Appalachian Mountains. And what county is this? Is it Logan or Logan something? County, technically, yeah. Mer- we're on the Logan County, um, Mingo County line, uh, but it is technically Logan County, yep.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, so, I have heard the Hatfield and McCoys referenced so much, especially recently. It's just over and over again. And I keep being like, I need to learn about this, Mm -hmm. but I'm reading so many other books that I haven't got to it yet. And once I realized I was going to talk to you, which just popped to my, you know, this is just by the chance of how I was driving home, I was passing your museum. So I was like, finally, I get to learn about this. So purposely last night, I decided to not, look up anything i didn't look at the wikipedia about it so all i know is that this is a famous legendary story of two like settler families that are feuding and it like to the point of uh, like war like tribal family warfare so let's can we kind of i want this episode to kind of be like a one on a one-on-one on what the story is like how did this even start you're a hatfield yep his great-great-great-grandson. So three greats? hmm Wow. So, okay, let's start at the beginning. Who were these families? Who was well, your family? Like? My
1: family, of course, was the Hatfield family that uh, originated from England. Okay. Um, they were royalty over in England. Um, Queen Elizabeth I was even raised in Hatfield House, Hatfield Castle over there. Um, the McCoys were Irish, and they immigrated, of course, from Ireland. Um, Both families settled here in the Appalachia Mountains. Um, They were friends and business partners and intermarried and everything for years. Wait, so Um, what
0: years did these families come here, your family and
1: the They came here in the 1700s. They settled here in the Appalachia uh, Mountains in the 1700s. From what we call Devalance's great-grandfather, he's known as Eph of all. Um, His name was Ephraim, and Devalance's father's name was Ephraim. Um, different generations, but um, Eve of all is um, kind of who we all come down from. Um, there were a lot of different characters in the feud that were some of the extended family members uh, <clears throat> that were known and prominent during the feud, uh, and we all come down, you know, from Eve of all is how we kind of just categorize it all.
0: So, so was Eve of all one of the first? I mean, was was he one of the first to come back this deep into the mountains?
1: Yeah, that I'm aware of, he was probably the first here in the area. Um, And, of course, we have Hatfields on both sides of uh, the Tug River, which, of course, is the state line uh, with Kentucky and West Virginia, which is how the feud got so nasty, actually, legally. Um, It happened during the Civil War. Um, and, uh, basically you had devil ants who was a captain in the, uh, confederate, uh, military and he saved his whole platoon, including Randall McCoy, who served under him in the military on devil's backbone mountain, uh, which is about a 20, 30 minute drive from here. And after, um, they, they basically, they got, um, sieged on the mountain And he told them all to load their guns, throw them by his side, and run because they were way outnumbered and they would all die. So they all loaded their guns, threw them beside him, and he was known to be such an expert marksman that he actually ended up surviving the ordeal, taking out all of the Union soldiers that were coming after them, and made it back home, surprisingly. So he ended up saving his whole platoon, and after that ordeal, when um, he got back home, he saw uh, all of the tragedy that was happening with his local community. And he was always a huge community man. He uh, found that all of the Union soldiers were coming in, burning the crops, the homesteads, doing bad things to the remaining family members um, <clears throat> of the Confederate soldiers that were out fighting. So he decided to um, go AWOL. And abandon uh, the Civil War, and come home to uh, do a militia group, which was known as the Logan Wildcats.
0: Okay, I gotta stop you for a second here. <clears throat> Is this not the inspiration for um, the famous movie Clint Eastwood? The the um... Yellowstone? No, 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 no. The one that's um, the Jesse. I can't remember the title of it but it but this is exactly the premise. It's there con, a Confederate soldier um goes crazy because um the Union comes through and they kill his son and wife. Interesting. It's the I've, Jones something Jones, Jesse Jones.
1: I've actually never watched it, but it wouldn't surprise me. There are so many uh things based off the premise of our family history. The Outlaw,
0: The Outlaw, The Outlaw Jesse Jones something ah damn
1: it I'll have to watch that one for sure um there's literally about seven uh movies documentaries um professional great ones that are you know uh done on the family history not to mention god knows how many you know spinoffs and then of course there are um about 25 to 30 books that have been written about the family oh yeah but on top of that, you have, I mean, there's even Bugs bunny a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Um, there's, there's so many things that were based off of it out there. I even saw um, a game. I think it's called a Red Dead Redemption, maybe. I yep. can't remember. If, if you watch it at, or if you play that game, you'll see the storyline. is completely our story history. Of course, they change the characters' names, whatnot, but it's literally our entire uh, family history with the same time period. Um, America uh, particularly has been fascinated for, you know, a hundred years with our family and the media and uh, our story. So it's been, it's gotten a lot of exposure. Of course, most recently was um, the History Channel's uh, version of the miniseries that was six hours, I think it was, that was um, a lot of the story, but they actually... Uh, left a lot out. They got a few things wrong in that one. Uh, that's where Kevin Costner played my great grandfather. I mean, that
0: is insane, man. And
1: <laughs> Bill Paxton played the McCoy uh, patriarch, Randall McCoy. But that one, you know, although it was fairly accurate, they they had a few things wrong. But uh, they left a lot out of the story uh, that was historic. You know, historically played into the feud. Uh, the feud had such a huge impact on not only Appalachia, but our entire country. Uh, the reason why we even have extradition in our country today, uh, which is was the Supreme Court case, Mahon v. Justice, come from the feud to try mm. to hold the Hatfields and their you know, employees or whatnot accountable for the feud. Mm. So that's how we even have extradition in our country today. Uh, Kentucky was trying to invade West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia had just seceded from Virginia mm-hmm. in, and Kentucky wanted to take West
0: Virginia. Went Union. Uh huh.
1: Yep. And they seceded from Virginia. Uh, However, through here, of course, this was uh, Confederate territory for whatever reason. And then uh, Kentucky. um, I think Kentucky was also Kentucky was Confederacy, Uh, but Kentucky was trying to take West Virginia. So um, the the governor of Kentucky and the McCoys were issuing arrest warrants for the Hatfields across the state line, there was no extradition at the time. What exactly is extradition? Where you're able to be um, moved from one state to another to Ah, face crime. Yes. Face punishment for crimes that you may have committed. Um, So there was no extradition at the time. So what they kept doing was issuing arrest warrants and putting bounties on our heads, hiring bounty hunters to come get us. Uh, The family was known for their marksmanship. So uh, they kept sending bounty hunters to try to come and capture us, to pull us across the Tug River, across the state line, to make us face judgment in Kentucky. But um, we just kept kind of, I guess, killing everybody that came after us um, because we were known to be such great shots. So. Uh, the Kentucky governor used the feud as a catalyst to try to invade West Virginia. So he told uh, the West Virginia governor that he was invading West Virginia to take not only West Virginia, but to capture the Hatfields. And the governor sent word back to him, said, go ahead and try as you may. I'm going to have a thousand soldiers line up at the Tug River and lead the charge will be the Hatfields. So good luck. And Kentucky governor decided to... Calm down and stay his in in his territory and West Virginia stayed in his territory. Um so you know it even played in off of the Civil War and then you know even affected our entire legal system for the whole country.
0: Wow. Wow. So to go back a little bit, so when the family first came here, they were just a set they were mm-hmm. English settlers for like a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And then the Civil War is what created the beginning of this legendary rift.
1: Yeah, so the so I mentioned to you <clears throat> the uh, Logan Wildcats, which was the group that Devil Ants started here locally, the militia group. So that militia group was out patrolling, making sure that Union soldiers were not, you know, burning their crops and, mm-hmm. and homes and um, doing bad things to the families. So what they ended up doing is they ended up shooting Randall McCoy's brother. Although Randall McCoy was a Confederate soldier under Devil Ants, his brother was a Union soldier, and his name was Asa Harmon McCoy. He was stumbling through the woods, drunk, uh, in his Union uniform. They mistakenly shot him, thinking he was, you know, someone terrorizing the homesteads and whatnot. And <clears throat> of course, he died from that. So Randall McCoy already had a little bit of a grudge against Devil Ants from abandoning him and his platoon in the military. So and then you have the killing of his brother by the whole militia group that Devlant started from abandoning that war. So you are, that's kind of what started off, you know, the feud. Well, Asa Harmer and McCoy was the first killing. Okay. And then you had a, uh, a hog at the time that went over the mountain and was rebranded for whatever reason. Wait, and what does that
0: mean? That people would brand their Mm-hmm.
1: Livestock, mm-hmm. so
0: and because would I think I've heard that like a lot of livestock would just roam free. Yeah,
1: it could. Of course, here in the mountains. I mean, it's so you know, it's so mountainous around here. You know, they they kind of stayed you know with their herd and close to home. But yeah, for so sure. The, so
0: the early farmers, settlers homesteaders would have uh, branded all their livestock.
1: <clears throat> yeah, on this particular um, pig, it had uh, I think a cut on its ear like a one mark or a two mark, you know, cut on the ear. And the hog, of course, you know, they were very valuable at the time. You mm-hmm. know, today we don't think of it like that. But back then, not only did a hog feed your family for the entire winter, it, you know, uh, fueled your lamps, um, mm, the, the, the hide, the skin. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things behind that. But the hog uh, went over the mountain and um, McCoy said it was his hog. said the Hatfields rebranded it. Uh, cause they added two marks versus the one that went to trial locally. Um, and the jury was made up of six Hatfield, six McCoys and the judge was a Hatfield and the well, Hatfields. I don't make it. I know. Right? Tricky. So yeah, right. Yeah. So the, um, the Hatfields won that court case. So of course that's another feather in the cap that, you know, just added fuel to the fire. And then you had uh, a love story with John C. Hatfield and Roseanne. So they call, you know, they basically call us the Appalachia Romeo and Juliet. I was just
0: going to say, is that this story is so, because again, I told you, I didn't know anything really about it, but immediately what came to mind is like Shakespearean, Romeo and Juliet, two warring families, but a yep. love in between. So there was a love between.
1: Uh, oh yeah. There, there was a lot of intermarriages, but during the feud, you know, the families kind of separated and. And kept separated during the feud. You still had some Hatfields on the Kentucky side. Um, and those Hatfields, for whatever reason, it's interesting when I come back home and and diving more into my history. For whatever reason, they're referred to as the River Hatfields. Hmm. And we're referred to as the Creek Hatfields. So this area that we're in right now is called Island Creek. Hmm. So they called us you know, the Creek Hatfields for whatever reason. And then the ones from Kentucky were known as the River Hatfields. The Creek Hatfields were the feuding Hatfields, whereas the River Hatfields were not. Hmm. They were known as the more peaceful Hatfields during the feud. Okay, But, uh, yeah, so John C. Hatfield was Devalanche's first son. He was known to be the lover, not the fighter. So he fell in love with Rosanna McCoy at an Election Day event. Or, I'm sorry, not Election Day event, at um, some event in Pikeville. I don't think it was Election Day. And um, the... Her three brothers eventually uh, tried to uh, kidnap John C. and pull him across the river to face justice in Kentucky, you know, and that went wrong. And then at the uh, at an election day event shortly after, actually, the those three McCoy boys, her brothers, ended up jumping Devil Anza's brother uh, Ellison. And stabbed him 27 times and shot him once. Mm. And it took him a week to bleed out. And when uh, Devlin's deadlines told them that if, if his brother dies, those McCoy boys will
0: face justice. Okay. Okay. Wait a sec. So the young lady, the mm-hmm. young lady on the McCoys, mm-hmm. her lover, John C. it's his uncle who just got stabbed and shot. Correct. Okay.
1: Yep. Yep. And um, so they tried to kidnap Johnsey shortly after the election day event and it was John done. John C is the lover. The lover, yep. And it was done in public when they killed his uncle. And <clears throat> they went after the McCoy boys to rescue John C., and um, they also captured the McCoy boys and brought them back to West Virginia to face justice for killing yeah, you know, Devilance's brother. The three
0: brothers of the young
1: lady. Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. Yep. And so, uh, they brought him back and they held him for a week. Um, say, you know, Devilance sent word to the McCoys saying, you know, if my brother dies, that your boys will die in the same manner to face justice. So they ended up, Uh, shooting those three McCoy boys. They tied them to what's called pawpaw trees. No way. And they ended up shooting them. And what they did is they tied them to the Kentucky side of the river, stood on the West Virginia side of the river, and shot across. So it made it kind of like gray territory, right? There's no extradition. Hmm. So... Um, <laughs> and then they just left the bodies tied to the pawpaw tree? No. Um, nope. He told he told their mother that um, he would return them home. So they actually returned them back to the McCoy farm. Took them back wow, home there's, for her.
0: There's such strange
1: codes mm-hmm. in war. Yeah. Well, you know, talking back then, too, I mean— you know, we didn't have, you know, the laws, uh, law and order like we do today. You know, there was not a lot of police around. You know, you had a sheriff and that was about it. And, you know, you're in these rough Appalachian Mountains. You know, it, you, you know, you got to be careful. You know, you don't have even even today. Um, I had an issue here at the museum. Um, I think it took the state police 45 minutes to arrive, 40, yes. 45 minutes to arrive. And that's today. So, I mean, you know, imagine back then when there is no paved roads like this and you're all on horseback, you know,
0: 100 years ago. I've met three people with stories in Appalachia, Tennessee, Kentucky, West Virginia, who have found bodies in the woods. Oh, Lord, yeah.
1: Yeah. That all the time. Yeah, that happens a lot. <laughs> it does. I mean, you have you have people, you know, um, unfortunately, we are at the epicenter of the opioid epidemic. We're mm-hmm. ground zero. Uh, you might have even heard of the three towns suing the uh, pharmaceutical companies um, because of the opioid epidemic here in West Virginia. Uh, they used us as guinea pigs, test pigs, you know, it's test disgusting. guinea pigs, whatever whatever you want to call it. And it, um, it made it really, really bad here. Uh, between that and then all of the economy collapsing here in West Virginia, as it did with the natural resources uh, that were put into – play when um, when Obama was in office, you know, they had the focus on, you know, green energy and it put a lot of regulations on coal and natural gas and natural resources, which is what, you know, this area is known for. So it crippled Kentucky, West Virginia drastically Mm. uh, and it created a lot of poverty that was no you know, that was never here before. Mm. Uh, At one point, this was known as Billionaire Row.
0: What? Yep. Mm hmm. That driving through here, it's hard to I, see that. Yes,
1: I agree. I agree. Yeah. If you, um, you can research it, you know, look up Welch, West Virginia, next county over. And um, that was literally called Billionaire Row at one point. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. But then, you know, through the years um, with a decline in uh, natural resources, and then when that administration put in all these restrictions, it literally crippled, you know, Appalachia completely. Uh, it's it's it's
0: horrible now so so before we get back to the feud yeah so i saw on your website and you know we now live in pocahontas county west virginia it looks as though the future goals and plans are tourism to make west virginia correct seems to be where the economy is going tourism. and i saw you talking about that on your website here for your museum
1: yeah uh, you know the the state is in a transition period, or actually I should say the the area because, you know, Kentucky is also a a huge piece of that puzzle, but, you know, we are trying to transition to tourism, but the interesting part is, is the local society can't see, you know, past, the the, the past, basically, so we're trying to bring in tourism, and then you get a lot of uh, locals who don't want that brought in here. Mm-hmm. But yet they want a better economy. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you can't have one without. The, you have to, you know, make change. You have to bring in, you know, new sources of income, and you know, create new jobs. And and the only way we know that we can do that right now is with tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but there's still a lot of locals who are just opposed to that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, back to the story. So um, the McCoy. Three brothers. Yes. Yeah, of, so, of the young girl.
1: Yeah, they they were in. They ended up being shot, tied to Pawpaw trees, and shot. Uh, they were taken back home to lay to rest. Of course, they still kept trying to come after us. That threw gasoline on the fire. Right. Now, and, does the young.
0: I mean, from the point thinking about being young and in love, it's like w- the strain that this is putting on these two lovers. Like, are you still? madly in love with this young man whose brothers have and family have just killed your brothers? hmm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the McCoys kind of disowned her, actually. She,
1: mm. she ended up um, getting pregnant, and they ended up having a baby girl who unfortunately died very young, I think about eight or nine months old, of the measles. And um, Devil Lance would never allow them to marry him because he knew it would just make you know the situation worse. So I think eventually she, you know, like you're saying, you know, if you put yourself in her shoes, eventually she decided to abandon, you know, the Jauncey, tried to go back home. But again, her family considered her a Hatfield at that point, And so did her community. Jeez. So she ended up having to move in and live with her Aunt Betty McCoy, uh, which was kind of like in some neutral territory away from the feud a little bit. And she also ended up dying pretty young uh, Mm -hmm. later on. She lived a little while after her baby,
0: but they always say she died of a broken heart, sadly. I wonder, you know, I'm very, we talked a little bit, I'm very into mysterious things. Uh, You know, I think religions are fascinating. Supernatural things, fascinating. I definitely believe in some kind of higher power. Like, Mm -hmm. I wonder if God, whatever that means, was like trying through love to, Make these families, families connect, better. and yeah. it's like it just didn't work in that time period,
1: yeah, it uh, so shortly after that, there was a uh, a court battle over five thousand acres of land. So the McCoy cousin, Perry Klein, uh, he sued Devalance for five thousand acres that he said was his. Um, that we also won that court case as well. So, of course, that added more gasoline to the fire. Perry Klein, um, the attorney, was uh, Randall McCoy's uh, cousin, I think, if I'm not mistaken. He was kind of, I say, the potster on the McCoy side. On the Hatfield side, we had uh, Jim Vance, which was Devil Anse's uncle. Uh, Jim Vance, um, he was kind of the same on the Hatfield side. So, although the feud was between the families, you had, you know, outside family members of the two clans that were kind of, you know, throwing gasoline on the fire nonstop. And Perry Klein knew that he could not win. He was an attorney. He knew he could not win in a court of law, but he could win in a court of public opinion. Hmm. So he uh, ended up hiring a sheriff for Pikeville uh, named Frank Phelps. Frank uh, was a, uh, Gentleman who, for whatever reason, I I don't know his backstory that much, to be honest, but uh, from what I understand, he actually had a uh, bad reputation for uh, being in law enforcement. And this was what he saw as his opportunity to improve his reputation. So if you capture, you know, the most notorious family who's, you know, at large right now, you know, I mean, what better way to you know repair your your name in law enforcement? So, uh, <clears throat> Perry Klein ended up helping him become sheriff of Pikeville, and he was the one who worked with the uh, the state of Kentucky to keep issuing arrest warrants for us to try to invade West Virginia. And then you had all these bounty hunters they were hiring to come over and try to get us. So unfortunately, a lot of people who were not even part of the feud even died, you know, trying to capture us or or what have you. Um, There was one prominent employee um, on the Hatfield side that died who was close to the family. Um, But, you know, a lot of them were even people that are who even are unnamed today Hmm. during the feud history because, you know, they were just trying to come over and capture us. And, you know, we were self-defending themselves, if you think about it. Um,
0: No, no. Here's just like kind of an everyday question, you know, because it seems so much like what you hear about, like gang wars, kind of like what this Mm -hmm. is. Um, Now, would they have been passing each other like at some intersection of society at that time? Like would they have crossed each other like at a railroad well, or a wagon I, road? Or oh, for sure. Yeah. At a general store and just like made stink eyes at each other and it didn't yep.
1: blow up into violence? Yep, um, for sure. I mean, not only that, you had a lot of the employees who were known to work for one family versus the other. So you even had the employees having those situations uh, however, remember, it happened on the Tug River, so you had the river separating the states. Mm-hmm. So during the feud, of course, the Hatfields were very careful to make sure they stayed in West Virginia because they were issuing you know, bogus uh, arrest warrants, basically, mm-hmm. in Kentucky for the Hatfield family. But, however, their employees and whatnot would go get supplies mm-hmm. and what have you in Pike County. Uh, before, you know, and bring them back
0: to the, uh, to the what family. What do you mean when you're saying employees? These are like militia employees or just like well, working on a farm or something?
1: Oh, no. So uh, Devalance uh, was a logger. He had, oh, like okay. I said, we that we know of, it was at least over 6,000 acres, uh, which is what you ha- are standing in today, Logan and Mingo counties. Um, <clears throat> and the employees, I mean, he had so many employees. You know, he was a, a logging company pulling, you know, timbering, so and saw, selling timber. Sawyers and stuff like that.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure, okay. yeah. A lot so of laborers. Log, so he was hiring logging men or whatever. Mm-hmm. Did yep. he have a sawmill or something?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, near the river, and they would float the logs down the river, you know, to the sawmill. Um, but um, so he had a lot of employees. Uh, Randall McCoy had a few employees as well. Uh, of course, the townspeople, Randall McCoy was known to be also a man of the community in Pikeville. Neville Lance was known to be of a community in, you know, um, West Virginia. So, Were the McCoys, did they have a trade? Uh, they, from what I understand, if I can remember correctly, they actually owned um, general stores. Okay. Um, they had a few general stores, uh, and the families did business together for years. They also were some landowners, uh, which we purchased some land from, things like that through the past. Um, so, um, unfortunately, the, after the feud, it kind of really went downhill for the McCoys, unfortunately. Um, but during the feud, yeah, they had owned a lot of general stores and land, things like that, that they sold. But uh, so you had the you had the land battle, the land dispute, um, and then after that, you had. Uh, well, I think we already talked about the death of Herman McCoy. The land dispute. Uh, Devil Ants. He he tried to calm the feud. He he did not want the feud to continue it had been going on for years and years and years probably about 20 years at this point he removed himself from the situation hoping that it would calm down the flames so he actually relocated um here to where we're sitting today and what do, what
0: does that mean like literally there was an old house right
1: yes, here this was devlin's home place
0: yeah like literally in your house right now there was a, there was a house before yes wow yeah it burned down in the 30s unfortunately
1: um, my hope is to rebuild the home here wow. on the property. Um, and that will become the museum and, and give shop and whatnot. But yeah, he um, was it like a cabin or was it like an old farmhouse? No, it was, well, you got to think he was wealthy back then, you know, he mm-hmm. a big landowner, big mm-hmm. businessman. Uh, made his way in the world. Um, you, you know you had people still living in, you know in log cabins and shacks. Mm-hmm. you know you would come around the corner right here and here's this big huge you know mansion basically really? wow. sitting here. I mean, in today's time, well, back then it would have been a huge mansion for us today, it would be you know just a big house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was a two-story uh, home. Uh, they had um, built, so of course they had the original home section that was on the front. And then they had built a uh, double the size of a second section on the back. And then there was a one-story section on the main, you know, back of it. So it was quite, quite large. Mm. Um, Even for today's terms, it was a large house. Wow. Um, But back then, it would have been a huge mansion, you know, coming around the corner. It would have been something to see for sure.
0: Mm. Um, But he actually, before all that was built. So did they have, like, um, lodging for all the workers? Was there, like, camps? Well,
1: no. Well, the workers had a lot of their own homes around here, you know, their own cabins. Um, But he was also known to take in people of the community. Um, He was a huge, huge community man, uh, and he had raised, um, you know, several of, you know, uh, kids around the area here Hmm. that, I guess, didn't have much of a family around. Maybe their fathers were soldiers past. I have no idea. I mean, he kind of adopted them. In a way, yeah. Mm. There's a. I think there was about three of them that he took in completely mm. uh, during that time frame and raised here on the property. And but before he built that big house, there was uh, across the street here was the actual hideout that he had out in during the feud. And when there's not so much foliage, you can look halfway up the mountain over here across the street, and there is a ledge, and that's where all the sharpshooters would no. hide out. And below them was the uh, the hideout he hid out in, and that was a concrete block no. building. They say the walls were three feet, th- three feet thick. It no longer stands today, unfortunately. He made,
0: so he made like a bunker.
1: Yes. Yep. It was a <laughs> two-story block bunker is what and it was. It was on the mountain across the road. Uh, yeah, right across the street here. You'll see that uh, brown double-wide across the street. That's where it actually sat. And then up on the hill there is that ledge where the sharpshooters would, you know, hang out and hide out and watch over. So eventually, nearing the end of the feud, um, he ended up building the home place here on the property across the street. And the bridge right there was actually a drawbridge at one point, the bridge you came across. He built that.
0: Okay, so yeah, so very um, quintessential to the kind of like, living in these hollers of West Virginia and Kentucky or all the houses are down at the bottom of in the hollow and then there'll be a road and there's usually a little Creek. So mm-hmm. And then there'll be everybody, their driveway, the front of it is a little bridge, just to paint yep. a picture. Yeah. So you're saying the little bridge I came over to your driveway, to the house, that would have been a drawbridge. Yes, that was a drawbridge.
1: <laughs> and it's actually the original um, sides and, and everything of the bridge back then. Mm. It's the same bridge, they just concreted it in. But yeah, they would uh, raise the bridge at night, and that way he had a moat around his property. So if you notice when you pull in, I'm on a little island. So he actually told the McCoys during the feud that he was going to go so far back in the mountains they would never find him. If they did, he would have a bridge around his or a moat around his property, and they would shoot them before they got across. Mm. And he was serious. Mm. So unfortunately, about this time is um, we hadn't built the home place at that time, but he was across the street in the hideout here. He was getting older. He uh, had a very big health scare while he was over here in the hideout and he knew he did not want to leave this feud ongoing for the family.
0: So it just, since I know so little about this story, the feud was during his life. It was all through his life. Almost. Yes. So the civil, yeah. starting the civil war. Yeah. And then, so he wanted to close it in his life.
1: Yes. He wanted to make sure the family did not con- continue to suffer with all this violence, there was already too many people had had died at this point. So, how many people have died over talking here? Well, you had um, quite a few employees and that had
0: passed, and unfortunately, there is no account of like their dozens deaths. of people. You think?
1: Oh, uh, yep. Because mm-hmm.
0: yep. yeah, as I read, the tiniest amount that I read about it was it's many people consider it a, it a war, yeah, and not just a family feud. Correct. Yep,
1: especially like you know, a war within the Civil War is what it was. Um, so you had a lot of employees that had died, and we don't even know the number of them. Um, you had uh, quite a few McCoys pass, and actually, one, two that we we one another murder we forgot to talk about. Actually, at this point was Jauncey ended up um, shooting. Or okay, no who's cap. That? Excuse Remind me. me. Who's Jauncey? So Jauncey was a lover boy. Okay. And he and he later after Rosanna and him split and the baby passed, he ended up marrying. Rosanna's cousin, which was Nancy McCoy.
0: Okay.
1: Now Nancy. So McCoy, he was hooked on McCoy <clears throat> girls. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. He he loved to cause trouble. So Nancy uh, McCoy was actually the daughter of Asa Harmon McCoy, the first McCoy, the Union soldier that was shot. Mm. That was his daughter. So he ended up remarrying Nancy McCoy, and um, Nancy ended up um, betraying the family and. Uh, going to be with Frank Phelps, the sheriff. Mm. And then she gave away the family's position while they were hunting one time. And that's how they ended up shooting and killing Jim Vance in the story. Mm. But um, Nancy, I'm trying to remember my thought here. I had, sorry. So Nancy's brother, he, and he was in, ended up getting shot by Cap Hatfield, which was Dev Lance's second son. Cap, um, had a eye injury um, where they were out working, logging, and so he got stabbed in the eye by a piece of wood, and mm. he ended up having a, a milky eye. And um, he was, surprisingly enough, he was known to be uh, the second best
0: marksman next to Devil Ants, uh, even with the one eye, which is Hey, I want to tell you something on that note. So my lady, <clears throat> Vivian, my partner, future wife, um, so she was born with vision in only one eye. The other eye is, um, like you just said, kind of not milky, it um, but she can't see out of it, it's right. completely hazed out. Mm-hmm. She's amazing at shooting, and she's <laughs> a painter, so she like detail and focus out of that yeah. one eye. Yeah, she's like Annie Oakley, just naturally, yeah, super he's, good at shooting. yeah, and that, that's what he was known for. So, you know,
1: maybe it maybe it is was attributed to to the injured eye, probably. I mean, it would make sense, I guess, you know, you got one, mm-hmm. one laser focus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so he ended up shooting and killing Nancy's brother and, uh, which was also Asa Harmon's uh, Asa Harmon McCoy. The first McCoy killed had two children, which was Nancy. And then her brother, I forget his name at the moment. I want to say it was James, but I can't remember it honestly, but, um, he ended up getting killed by Cap Hatfield and, um, Nancy, of course, um, Angry, upset, she left the McCoy or the Hatfields and betrayed them and went to Frank Phelps. The sheriff. The sheriff and gave away the hunting position of where Cap and Jim Vance would be. And they ended up killing and taking out Jim Vance during that shootout on the mountainside. And um, Nancy ended up marrying Frank Phelps, the sheriff, Mm. after divorcing Johnson, which was, yeah, crazy. So, um, and then, um, you know, like I mentioned, Devil ants. at this point, like I said, there was too many murders, too many people killed, too much tragedy. We're talking in the dozens? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. At this point, yeah, for sure. Um, And then you had uh, him getting sick, having that life scare. So um, when he got better, he was like, you know, I'm done. This is over. We got to end this. And the only way to do that was to cut off the head of the snake, so to speak. So uh, they arranged a ambush uh, on the McCoy home place, the McCoy cabin on New Year's night, if I'm not mistaken. The year was 1888 and they ended up setting the cabin on fire and uh, they had planned that when the families had came out, they would just start shooting and just end it all.
0: They were trying to just annihilate the
1: McCoys? Well, that McCoy family, yes. Randall McCoy's family, Randall McCoy and his immediate family. Just kill them all. Yep. Is that what happened? Almost. So um, Randall McCoy, uh, I think one daughter and one son, Sam, they survived the shootout. Um, and his wife, but she was gravely injured. He had, uh, I think, another son and two daughters. I'm trying to recall this from memory, so I may not be exactly correct here. But several of his other children were killed, one of which was Ella Fair, his daughter, Alafair, fair um well let's go back to his wife where we go down Alla fair but his wife um sarah she was uh, she fell coming out and jim vance uh, butted her in the head uh with his gun and she actually ended up going insane and crazy from the head wound
0: hmm. uh,
1: so i have a great photo out there of of her and randall uh, which is going to be the last photo, and you can tell it's after the cabin fire because she has a bonnet on her head, so from the head injury, and they're with the townspeople it's a great photo actually it's one of the last ones of the McCoys, but um you know Sam and I think one daughter survived, and then and how many people were killed? that day I can't remember I want to say it was three other children. Mm. Um, I mean, he had already lost three boys before that is this like a night raid or is this in the day nope in the night mm. yep in the night they were just done mm. so they did a surprise attack on the cabin and sarah got butted in the head and then um ala fair was one of his daughters who died that night ala fair um well so we talked about ellison which was devilance's brother C's uncle who was killed and uh, his son, Ellison Cotton Top, he was actually a Mounts, not a Hatfield. Um, he was known to be his illegitimate child uh, in the family. And he wasn't quite all there. Um, he was pretty slow from what I understand. And he actually copped to the murder of killing Alifair, trying to make the family proud. You know, I killed a McCoy, I killed a McCoy. So he actually ended up uh, being kind of the sacrificial lamb for the feud on the Hatfield side. So he was actually hung over in Pike County, uh, where the campus is over in Pikeville, is uh, the site. We still don't know where his body is today. We, they, they did some ground penetrating radar over there trying to find it, but I don't think they actually found it. But um, that's where he was hung. And then, um, of course, you had the Supreme Court case go all the way up with that and created the extradition in the country, which is how he stood trial. Um, Cotton Top was hung as kind of the sacrificial lamb on the Hatfield side uh, to, I mean, th- that we know of, I guess he's the only Hatfield, even though he wasn't technically a Hatfield, to face justice for um, the feud. Um, and on the Hatfield side, you had uh dev lance's uh brother ellison who passed who was killed and then uncle jim vance dev lance's uncle Um, on the hatfield side that's really kind of all the prominent members that were taken out during the feud the other members of the feud uh long lived a long long age you know john c as well um if I'm not mistaken, I think he died of a heart attack over in Warrencliffe on my great-grandfather's porch. That's the lover boy? Mm-hmm. Yep, and Cap, he was the one I shot. He um, passed away actually of an old gunshot wound. He had gotten an infection, hmm. and um, they had went in to try to remove the bullet that was still, I guess, lodged in him, the metal, and um, he actually died on the operating table. Hmm. But um, Devil Ants himself lived to be eighty-four. So,
0: did this massacre end
1: the feud? Um, you know, we didn't really have a truce um, till two thousand and three. I was just gonna say, yep. have the families <clears throat> amended this wild well, battle? And it's funny; it depends on who you ask. Um, you know, when I did my open house here for the museum, I literally had to break up a fight. It was, it
0: was are insane. you serious? Yeah.
1: Yeah. With two, 80s that, uh, two ladies that were almost in their 80s. That are from McCoy lineage? No, those, those are Hatfield lineages. <laughs> and then a, uh, a gentleman who says he's a McCoy descendant, they um, they ended up almost having a brawl in the museum floor out here. Wow. Um, and I'm like, what are y'all doing? You know, we've signed a piece of blah They're like, well... I didn't sign no peace treaty. I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, in
0: 2003, the family signed a peace treaty?
1: Yes. Wow. Yeah, but a lot, some Hatfields some McCoys do not recognize it.
0: And they're still beef. Yeah. But maybe now it's just cussing and maybe a right, fight right, here or there. Right,
1: right, Too much law and order these days, right? Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, you know. Today we'll also argue and fight over how it should be preserved or what the accurate story is. Okay, so some of the battle has
0: turned into the preserving of the history. Yes,
1: yep. Along with the storyline of the history, Mm. you know, you can ask, um, you know, twenty different people and get forty different opinions of the feud and what happened. Mm. Um, I have to go by, you know, what I was told as family growing up, and you know, things I've read, um, historians that I've talked to. Um, especially during the museum, it's really clarified a lot of things, you know, uh, <clears throat> so that, you know, I just have to go by what facts that that I can prove and, and that I have. The problem with it and the reason why there's so many different versions of it out there, we know the major timelines and events of the major things that happen. But in between there, there's some gaps. So, you know, either Hollywood or the writers writing the books, they'll, you know, fill in those gaps with what they think should be there, what they think may or may not have happened. Um, so you kind of have to, you know, read a lot of the books, a lot of the articles. I mean, there's a lot of magazines out there that have, you know, interesting tidbits that are maybe missing out of the other books because these these magazines are from, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, and it has they have some good information that people don't even know about that exist. Um to fill in some of those blanks, even in the miniseries, if you watch the miniseries with Kevin Costner, they show nothing about the uh, the feud intertroning with the Civil War
0: and oh Kentucky. My God.
1: Yeah, it shows. And nothing. that's
0: how it all started. That was the yeah. genesis. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep. And they even show Jim Vance shooting and killing Asa Harmon McCoy, the first McCoy, instead of the Kentucky Wildcats. Or sorry, the Logan Wildcats that Devlin started, the militia group. Um, so they leave out the Logan Wildcats, they leave out Kentucky trying to invade West Virginia. They also even left out all the Supreme Court case and, and all that good stuff. So, although it's a, even a good gist and timeline and well done of the feud, but they do have some inaccuracies in there, of course, but there's a lot of missing information, you know, from, from even that miniseries.
0: Okay. Let's talk about that, man.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you'd come home. Well, I guess now you said your full-time job is the museum. Pretty much, yep. So, okay. Or you said you you moved away for a while?
1: Yeah, so I left home when I was 17, and I just moved back eight months ago to uh, preserve the history.
0: Well, I want to talk about that a little more. But, uh, so over those 17 years, or you said about 17 years? No,
1: I left when I was 17. Okay. Uh, That was in 1998. I just came back now, twenty twenty. One, I guess I came back.
0: Okay, so for that period that you're gone um, or just a normal day at home and you sit down and you turn on the TV and you see your family on TV being portrayed by famous actors, I mean, what is that like? I didn't watch it. <laughs> you didn't watch it? No,
1: I already knew the story. I mean, you know, you're, I'm used to it. The interesting thing was is, you know, you grew up here, you know, you grew up with it, you hear about it, you learn about it, but what was even more interesting is, you know, the families. Both families were ashamed of it. Neither family was mm-hmm. proud of the feud. Um, it was
0: it's infamous. You know, yeah, it's not, yeah. It's, but
1: it was a dark time, you know, for both families. That both families lost a lot. They hurt a lot, and um, they were not proud of it. So our ancestors didn't really talk much about it. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea I was even a direct descendant of devil ants until my grandfather passed away. And my dad got curious about our lineage. So, you know, it was, it was, we were blown away that we were direct descendants. I mean, of course, you know, you're a Hatfield, you know about the Hatfields and McCoys, but to be a direct, you know, direct line grandson of Devil Ants. To the main character. Yeah,
0: you would, you know, who would have, who would have thought. So how did Devil get his name? Just because he,
1: because he went AWOL. Well, he was known as Ants for the family. Um, so that was his nickname. His name was William Anderson Hatfield. Hmm. There was a lot of William Andersons in the family lineage. So there were William Andersons before him and after him. So to differentiate him, his nickname was known as Ants in the family. He there are three different theories on how he got the devil added to the nickname. Uh the so he defended his platoon, like we said, over on Devil's Backbone Mountain. So that's one theory. Um the other theory is that when he was, I think, about 16 he was, uh, him and his mom were walking home uh, from a visit to the store or what have you, and they got jumped by three guys, and apparently he beat the crap out of them, and his mom always said that he was mean as a devil, and nobody would ever mess with him. That's mm-hmm. another theory. The third. So
0: these were like
1: wagon road thieves? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The third theory, which is the one I pretty much probably believe to be correct is that randall mccoy was quoting saying something like devil ants was uh six feet of hell and full of the devil so i kind of feel like that one's maybe when it stuck really of course there was the devil's six backbone, six feet of hell and full of the devil so six feet
0: tall and full of the devil
1: yeah yeah. But he wasn't even six feet. He was five eight. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get four more inches of badass. Yeah. I guess yeah, yeah, for the badassness Yeah. So but yeah, I think that's how it stuck was uh Randall McCoy's quote that he had, honestly. Um, but to the family he was known as ants. But today everybody only really knows him as devil ants. So if you leave the devil out, people don't know who you're talking about, which is crazy. Um but it was, yeah, it was a dark time. The families didn't talk about it. And, um, you know, you had to educate yourself between the books, the magazines, the movies, the historians who've done a lot of research. I work a lot um, with the local Logan County historian and, and history professor here uh, to ensure that everything that I have in the museum is accurate as possible, mm-hmm. um, as well as, you know, the stories that I put out
0: are as accurate as possible, you know, when people come in. Um, why do you think? I was going to say America is so fascinated by this, but it might be larger. I mean, it might be a popular story abroad as well. It is. Why? Why does this theme, like, hit on such a like at a, such a mythologi- mythological or archetypal? Like, wh- why mm-hmm. do you think this story is so potent?
1: I, you know, I knew it was very well known. You know, when I left here at age 18, uh, I went to go vote for the first time. And they're like, oh, we have a celebrity. And I'm like, who are you talking about? What's going on? You know, like I had no idea it was that well known. And then even today, it blows my mind still, you know, here in the museum, I had a a group from Nicaragua, couldn't even speak English, who were so fascinated by the family story. They, you know, took an international trip here. Oh and come to the music, God. Yeah, it blew my mind. Just blew my mind. Um, but you know, I, I think you have that for uh, several reasons. One, of course, you know, the, the family feuds. Everybody can relate to feuding with a neighbor or or another family um aside, right? There's there's actually a lot of family feuds throughout history. Mm-hmm. But very I, I would I guess I would probably say ours is maybe the most infamous in at least the United States. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a lot of family feuds out there, but the characters,
0: you know. I guess it also, t- like, when you learn about, like, ancient, no, not ancient, but, um, you know, medieval Scotland and stuff, mm-hmm. it's like clans. Yes. So, it's, like, kind of, it's kind of like the, an old, Europe, old world European um, warring yep. and yep. Uh, tribalness kind mm-hmm. of here in America. Yeah. Something kind of like that. Well,
1: you I mean, if you think about the feud and the events that happened, where they came from, the families, almost everybody can relate one way or another to the feud. So you have, you know, the England and Irish, you know, uh, grudges from way back when, mm. right? So you've got all the people from England. Of course, like I said, Hatfields were royalty in England. So, you know, you have, you have even people in Europe able to relate to the feud, even from, you know, that aspect. Um, I have a lot of them reach out all the time asking me to send them photos of things from the museum. You know, they can't make it over here or whatnot. And I'm like, well, you go to the Hatfield house and send me photos from there, Mm. you know. Um, But, you know, you have the love story, the Romeo and Juliet, Mm. you know, with Roseanne and Johnsy. You have the land dispute. You know, I mean, there's so many, uh, the court battles, the court cases, um, not to mention, you know, you're talking about a time period when, you know, White Earp, you know, Buffalo Bill, these guys have just, you know, kind of passed away, you know, and they were known to be, you know, some of the best marksmen in the world. And then here you have Devil Anson Cap, his son, you know, known to be just as great as marksman, you know. Um, so there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle, I think, that are just so relatable mm. um, to every society, every country, you know, every
0: family. You know, um, A theme I've discussed quite a bit with some like mentors and in a group, uh, like a men's group that I'm in, is, you know, straight out of the Bible, love thy neighbor. Great thing to try to do in life. But if anyone's ever had a strange experience with a neighbor, that is a hard one. Very hard. So obviously this is a um, magnified, Mm -hmm. like a magnified version of of what can happen, the tension.
1: It's very hard to turn that cheek. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it definitely, I mean, you had a lot of murders, you had land disputes, you had, you know, uh, interfamily marriages and love affairs. And you know, there was so many different fascinating pieces to that puzzle. Um, not to mention, you know, he was a shrewd businessman. He knew, you know, um, how to, you know, run a great business, employed a lot of people, uh, not to mention he was a huge community man took care of the community there 's so many stories that people bring me in here that just blow my mind. The more I learn about him, the more I understand why the world 's been so fascinated with him hey do you
0: um, you know what just popped in my head i having read um Huckleberry Finn mm-hmm. quite recently there 's a scene where the boys stumble in to a, like a something just like this hmm. they stumble into like um some feud like this interesting i think it's two families warring i can't mm. i think it's in huckleberry finn
1: but i think huckleberry finn i think was before
0: the feud yeah, yeah. i think it, but was. it might just uh, you know obviously yeah, this be, was happening in yeah, different places but this it. is the big the big one mm-hmm. yeah. okay i know you have we have a time restraint you got to leave at some point i think we got about 20 minutes okay well, let's talk about you so mm-hmm. do you feel so you left here. I'm mm-hmm. assuming because you know it's quite isolated to live out here. Yep,
1: I uh, wanted to make my stink on the world, I guess. Mm. So um, I went to Virginia, uh, Roanoke, and okay, uh, spent 12 years there. Uh, after completing grad school, I uh, relocated to Florida. Mm. Um, at this time, I was working for insurance companies, um, so I was uh, running uh, these. Um, Retail insurance centers that had like sales, customer service, whatnot in it. Um, in Florida, I was in the call center for Blue Cross Blue Shield Anthem, and I'm sorry, in Virginia, excuse me. And then in Florida, I was with Blue Cross Blue Shield Florida running retail centers, um, and then I ended up taking over some call centers. And you know, COVID hit, and you know, the whole world changed literally, and I just didn't like the direction I was headed anymore. You know. Um, so, do you feel like? Something ancestors or have called you back to this? Definitely. Um, When I I actually was helping my grandmother uh, clean, do some spring cleaning, Um, and I ran into this was when I was living in Virginia uh, before I completed grad school. I was uh, helping her spring clean and I found a drawer of about 3,000 recipes. I'm like, what in the world is this? She's like, oh, this is, you know, all the recipes passed down through the family. I'm like, I didn't know this existed. So, I took them to make her her own little cookbook for Christmas. you know, just you've got to out. publish that I did oh so that's how <laughs> this is how this all began. so, um my buddy at work in the call center was like, "If I had your name lineage and those recipes, I'd be making me a book." and I'm like, "Ah, good point." So that's what I did. I made the cookbook, and that got me um attention to the other high profile family members who travel a country. Um, you know, showcasing the peace that, you know, basically if the Hatfields and McCoys can create a peace treaty and get along, then everyone else can. Um, and there's no reason, you know, to not celebrate our differences and come together. So we have been, I've been traveling the country with them for uh, the past almost 10 years. With the McCoys? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yep. Uh, direct beautiful. descendant of Randall McCoy, his name is Ron McCoy. Uh, he signed the peace treaty along with uh, Rio Hatfield, another cousin of mine. So me, them two, and then my aunt Judy Hatfield, um, who owns the home place here, she bought it back for the family about five years ago. It's been out of the family's hands for almost a hundred years now. Where we are right now. Yep, mm-hmm. we only got it back about five years ago. Amazing. And um, it was kind of my and her dream to you know to do this, and um, so I just got you know tired and fed up of uh, you know climbing that corporate ladder and. So I decided to come home and, and, you know, do this. So luckily the community has greatly embraced it. And, um, you know, I'm getting a lot of help, a lot of volunteers, a lot of the community coming in trying
0: to help, you know. And and just for the listeners, you Mm -hmm. know, this is very grassroots. The museum is is literally on the side of your house.
1: Yes. Yep. So when I got here, that was a carport and a one-car garage. So I enclosed the carport, turned that into the gift shop. And um, the garage was uh, remodeled and turned into the museum. Um, So, of course, I had to start somewhere. So my dream is to rebuild his home place and, you know, do the museum and gift shop in that. And then maybe upstairs could be a bed and breakfast or something for people to rent. And then this home that we're sitting in today that's here on the property would remain and be turned into a restaurant.
0: That's my hope. I am praying for that. Or would you try to have the house rebuilt, like, yes, to, in at, the, at least to look yes appropriate, yeah, historically appropriate. Yep. That's
1: yeah, that's that's the goal. Is when you come around the corner, you know, of this curve right here, you it's like you know entering back in time to Deviance's home. I am place. praying for that. Me too. Me too. And I'd love to you know get the land across the street where the uh, hideout once sat, and I'd love to rebuild that too. Yes, so um, and have a little trail up to the, the shootout. Yep, the, mm-hmm. or the uh, the, the, uh, the bunker area. Yeah, mm-hmm. Oh. there's supposedly a um, a cave up there too. Oh, and from what I understand, and I think there's a um, a coal stove. They say it's it's still back in there that they used to keep warm. Oh, you know when they were hiding out up there. So yeah, it'd be really cool. I want to um, go in there, build some cabins. You know, up on the mountain and stuff. So we'll see what what all plays out. Oh, and do
0: rentals. You could do cabin rentals. Mm Oh, I love this. This is so cool. I've only,
1: I've only been going, I mean, I got here to start in November. Um, Construction on the carport started November the 7th. Oh, this is brand new. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been open four
0: months. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Like I told you, it's already on the Google Maps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I worked with the uh, historic registry to um, register the property um, unfortunately, because the house is not standing, it didn't qualify for a national registry, but it did qualify for state registry. Now they told me once I rebuild the home place, if it's pretty historically accurate, I can you know get it on the national registry. But putting it on the state registry actually um, helped me climb really high, and you know in the Google rankings mm. for search engines. Um, so that's helped a lot, and you know I've gotten we've gotten a lot of uh, you know media attention and feedback and. Um, not just from the state, but, you know, interstate and community, you know, just very welcoming on, you know, what we're trying to do here to preserve our history. Um, because, you know, after of course, Dale Lance made all his um, money in logging and timber, but at the end of that is when uh, coal mining started here mm-hmm. and that's what brought in all the wealth. And that's why this was called billionaire row mm-hmm. is at the end of his life, he was in an, he was selling off pieces of land and land rights to the coal companies mm. and the railroad, and he was so uh, such an expert on the mountains in this area that they even hired him as consultant to help determine where to put the rails, where to dig for the coal, mm. um, you know, to get everything in and out as efficient as possible. Mm. Um, and if if you notice, I know you've probably been across a lot of railroad tracks, mm-hmm. but when you come here, there's none. He, he he kept everything away from the home place That's here. awesome. But, yeah, I had to prove, you know, that it's uh, it was his home place mm. um, before they would, you know, register it on the registry. Um, but, unfortunately, you
0: know, there's— Wait, wait, wait. We only have, we have so little time left. Yeah, sure. You've got to talk about—I told you I love paranormal stuff. Yep. If you feel a presence, let's hear it. Yeah, I do quite often.
1: So I grew up Pentecostal holiness. My grandparents are the pastors of the church I grew up in. Um, Pentecostal—it's a lot more strict, of course, on their rules and regulations. You can't wear jewelry, makeup—you know—you need to be wearing a dress. You know, um, you know. I Always talk about the women's hairdos. Higher they get, the closer they are to God. You know, um, but um, they are very extremely spiritual compared to other religions. They're more. In tune with uh, the spirit side of the religion Um, and at quite times it can be very scary as a kid growing up in things like that you know I have seen exorcisms and everything else as a child Um, so definitely greatly believe in spirits. Well I remember running out of the church because um, me and my best friend Luke we would always set in near my grandmother in the back of the church, she always sat in the back for some reason. And me and him were playing with our little cars under the bench. And a, you know, a young lady walked in. I remember she had you know like medium height, I guess to her shoulder length hair. And she kept, um, as the preacher kept preaching, she kept grabbing the bench and you know the wooden pews and her claws her fingerprints were literally you know in the wood from where she had held on so hard and we just kept hearing noises coming out of her hearing her grunt and like kind of growl and it was it was it was very scary as a child and I remember um she caught the attention of the other church members and I remember my grandmother like pulling me away really quickly and then I remember them taking her up to pray over her, and you know, I remember I ran out the back door. Uh, me and my friend both, you know, we got scared, you know, after seeing what we seen, and walked out the back door. Um, but there's a lot of times too that, you know, I've seen a lot of prophecies come true. Uh, you know, they would prophesy something in church. Somebody, you know, full of the spirit would, and the spirit speaks through them and prophesies, and um, those would come true. Typically, um, you know, someone would speak in tongues. Um, weirdly enough, it was either my grandmother or the assistant pastor's wife. Um, and then the other one would end up interpreting interpreting um, in English. And I, I, it, it was just very interesting. I mean, there was even things prophesied to me when I was a child that have came true um, and not came true um, that... Um, the devil would always try to attack me and come after me in various ways, um, because I was anointed and chosen by God for a reason. Um, and at one point, um, I kept what was interesting was is every church service I would go to, it, I would end up getting the same prophecy from different people uh, that i would uh, I was to become a preacher. Um, Which is interesting. I mean, if you think about me and my personality, I have a lot of the traits that would make a good pastor, no doubt about it, Um, but definitely doesn't agree with my life. Um, But I kept getting that same prophecy everywhere I went uh, from different churches, people I didn't know. And, um, you know, there's 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 a lot in that. You know, I remember church services where spirits would, you know, come in and, uh, guard the doors I, it was interesting, it was very interesting um, I even lived with my aunt shortly after that when I left home I moved in with my aunt in Virginia and um, she ended up having a spirit in her home and, but it was a good spirit, we, we think it was my uncle who had moved, you know, passed on and um, that you could definitely see Um, He was a black shadow figure. Um, In his, like, kindness, it was, you know, like the same height. He was a big man. He was a big man. And I only remember him as a small child, but that was definitely an interesting situation. Um, And, you know, moving here, um, I had a friend stay and help me when I uh, first uh, started doing this. And um, he was sleeping in the guest room. And he comes in, he was like, hey, um, the next morning, he's like, hey, have you, like, and he's not a spiritual person at all. Like, I don't think he even believes in things. And he comes to me, he's like, hey, have you had any problems in the house? I'm like, well, me? No. Why? And he's like, well, I swear there was something on top of me. And it was, like, sucking out my breath as I was trying to breathe. It was, like, pulling out my breath, and I couldn't breathe. And it woke me up, and I felt the weight, like, on top of me, and it was, like, sucking out my breath. And I'm like, okay. Well, no one's ever stayed in that guest room yet till now, right? But either way, I'm like, okay, this ain't happening, not in my home. So whatever that was, I knew it was not, you know, good So, um, of course, growing how I grew up and seeing what I've seen, I do carry some of my grandma's good old anointing oil with me everywhere I go. So, of course, I bless the home. I anoint all the house, the doors, um, you know, and uh, open them all up. And, and, you know, in the name of God, you know, anything that's not um, welcomed here needs to leave now, you know. And um, I've never had a problem since. But, of course, that was a bad spirit, right? So, um, I definitely, even today, still feel um, a huge presence here on the property. And I like to believe and think, you know, it is my uh, family ancestors watching over me and the property. And what's going on, I mean, Devil Ants himself passed away here on the property, as well as his wife, Levice. She also passed here on the property. And... Um, There was also a coal miner that actually built this current home. Um, I think his name was Raymond Topeka. He actually also passed away here on the property. And, uh, well, in the house, I guess. So, um, you know, there are literally ties that we even know of spirits here left on the property. But it's a huge huge, um, presence for sure. Uh, when I talk about certain things, my hairs will stand on end. I had a, a, a guy who came here to volunteer recently. He um, was a moonshiner, and my family was also known for their moonshining back in the day. John C. was a huge, huge moonshiner. And um, he wanted to pay tribute to the family, so he helped us clean up the cemetery several times. We cleaned all the statues and headstones up there for the first time in 100 years, all kinds of great things. And he was my age, he was fairly young, and he passed away unexpectedly uh, from uh, pancreatic cancer, I think it was. And, uh, I mean, within a day he was gone. I mean, he went to the hospital, I was going to go visit him the next day, and he was gone. And um, he was helping me try to get a water fountain that looks like a moonshine to put over the moonshine well out here and you know have it functioning and his family called me and said hey I heard he was working on you with this project I said yep and uh, and they're like well we know you didn't know him very well whatnot but um we think you'll do him right we would love to honor him by donating his steel setup to the museum so you can showcase Appalachian culture you know to all the visitors coming through and I was like oh my god yes please so you know even when that steel came here uh, day before yesterday I could even see a huge presence that day so I don't think he stayed with behind with it but or maybe he did I don't know but he was definitely here when they dropped that still off no doubt about it um, you can see my goosebumps now right so he um, you know he he'll be honored as well with when we get that new building in that we are about to open up for the museum soon but um, you know there's several Several presences I feel here on the property for sure that watch over the property. Myself, I mean, you know, this area, like I mentioned, um, you know, it's been uh, been hit extremely hard. Ground zero for the opioid epidemic. So you know, there is a lot of crime and things here, and not have one problem, nothing. This house sat empty here for five years, you know, uh, and nothing. I mean, how can a house sit empty for five years in the middle of a you know, opioid epidemic area and never be touched.
0: I'll tell you why. Cause they're the ghosts of sharpshooters. <laughs> it's a good point. There's killer ghosts showing here. Um, I know you got to run really soon. Um, I have a strong intuition based on only personal experience. Mm -hmm. Um, My grandparents had a really beautiful home in the countryside in Belgium. Mm -hmm. They thought my mom or one of her siblings would carry it on in the family. Um, They were not quite totally honest with my grandparents about what would happen with it. No one really had a plan to do anything with it, but that's really what my granddad wanted. So when my grandparents died, they ended up having to sell it because no one really could make that large of a life change to keep this house going in Belgium. Yeah. I started having tons of nightmares where I was haunted by the house. The house was brutally haunted. And I would be seeing my grandparents as ghosts and corpses to the point over and over and over again, to the point of like me being in that house with poltergeist experiences, me in that house with my grandfather as a ghost an inch from my face, screaming until I wake up, and when I realized the message was about that house, all the dreams completely shifted to renovations of the house. Um, I have this strong feeling that our like our ancestors will help that come through like I mm-hmm. have a strong feeling that devil ants will help fulfill yes. the goal of this museum
1: I agree um, you know I have I've, I've been met with some local opposition. You know, our, our family history is quite infamous, and it's a big piece of tourism here. So there are entities around who like to control the narrative of the family to draw in tourism. So the family coming back home, taking the narrative back,
0: mm.
1: has been met with a lot of opposition from certain entities. Um, people who have gotten funding in our names that disappeared, um, things of that nature, you know, for, you know, this, this cemetery appears in dire need of help. Um, and, you know, I guess they think they can intimidate me, but not so much. Um, not so, with your <laughs> bloodline. No, no.
0: no.
1: <laughs> so they they kind of forget who they're dealing with. So, um, you know, um, I've had to make a few phone calls, call in some favors. Um, but even people that I didn't know that I've had to call, I get right through.
0: Mm.
1: I say who I am, what I'm doing, I get no opposition. Hold on, let me patch you through. You know, because these gatekeepers are screening calls for these ho- high-profile people, right? Mm. So um, I've just been amazed. I've, I've only applied for two small grants, both approved. No problems, um, and I do believe that. So, of course, I've been met with a little bit of opposition, but the the love from the community, the media, um, it's been overwhelming, and um, I do believe that will continue to make sure that not just you know the Hatfield McCoy um, feud, but you know even our culture here will be preserved. Mm. Um, cause I'm also focusing, you know, the museum will go further into, you know, the, the Appalachian culture with coal mining, uh, as well as, you know, the local community, you know, telling the stories of the coal mine families and, and things I don't know if you've heard of the Matewan massacre, that's another great one you should look mm. into, um,
0: that involved, uh, Hatfield Sheriff, mm. um, have you done any art? I know, I know you got to go, but. Have you done any archeolo- ar- archaeological digs here? Yes.
1: So the Diggers TV show did a dig here along with the McCoy Home Place. You can pull it up on YouTube and watch it. Um, but that's what a lot of the artifacts are as well in the museum. Amazing. Are things that were dug up you know, um, here on the property um, and, of course, passed down through the family. Like
0: what? Real quick.
1: Um, we have like a lot of fragments from kitchen plates, forks, or spoons, salt pepper shakers, um, bullets, you know, bullet casings and stuff from the few that were found here, Civil War bullets. Um, what else is in there? Do um, you have any of their old killer guns? Yeah, I have. Wow. Um, I have two cousins that are supposed to bring me more that I know where they're at, but uh, out there now, currently, I have one of his uh, shotguns. It was actually his favorite model Devils. Mm-hmm, the Winchester 1897 model. And this one, it looks like he maybe have possibly sawed it off. So he could carry it on his favorite horse, Fred, and conceal it. Um, it was known to be, if you read some of those old magazines out there like I was talking about, it was very well known that this was his favorite model of gun back then because it was so accurate, he said, uh, which is the Winchester 1897 model. So um, I have that as well some commemorative guns out there as well that um, are on display. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. But, you know... We want to do more digs. There was the Digger, the Diggers TV show did a small dig here on the property, um, and then you had uh, two local diggers that came and did uh, digs here on the property. But I feel there's still a whole lot more here that we haven't even uncovered.
0: I I would. So we're we love paleontology. We mm-hmm. love archaeology. I mean, obviously, at the most extreme amateur level, we just love it. Yeah. If you have someone that needs volunteers, we'll be here in one microsecond. <laughs> okay. <laughs> me, and, me and my lady. Definitely. I'll keep your number. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, any final things you want to say before you got to get out of here? Um, no. I mean, we, you know,
1: we're just, um, we're, you know, we, we would love to have any of the volunteer help um, or funding, you know, if people are looking to help out. Um, of course, it's very expensive to try to do what we're doing. And, um, you know, we're going to start trying to look for some uh, grant funding or sponsors, you know, sponsors for the property in the museum. Um, so anybody who may be interested in helping, whether it's physical labor or um, administrative work or, you know, donations, um, definitely reach out. You know, our website's HatfieldMcCoyFoundation.org. Um, you can definitely reach out through us on there, Facebook, Facebook. <laughs> um, we're Instagram We're on every social media account you can find either under Hatfield McCoy foundation and museum or Hatfield home place. Um, but you know, uh, we've only been open four months and it's been a lot happening in four months. Let me tell you. So I can only imagine where what we're going new, to be Four months. You've already had multiple TV shows. Yes. Yep. I've even had offers to do, um, document, a documentary, um, PBS also sent a producer here to do two different, um, documentaries one on the feud preservation that we're doing the other on uh, music of Appalachia so I had a lot of bluegrass bands I called in and things to help put that here on the property so we've already done some filming here on the property Um, and I have I've had offers to do uh, like a a little mini series uh, on uh, Netflix you know with the preservation and things we're doing yeah I wonder Mm
0: -hmm. if you could have one of I wonder if you could build the show around building the museum
1: well, we've we've actually kind of talked a, a little bit about that. I was kind of afraid to do that show because sometimes you know you can be edited in certain ways that you don't want to be presented, mm-hmm. and that worries me a lot. Um, especially since the media was known in the past to paint her family as
0: gunslinging, you know, hillbilly yes, really redneck. Yes, I just so I just talked to a young man down in Kentucky, and we were talking about how the news loves to portray. His county and Appalachian general, they go and find the worst holler, Correct. find the most poor yep. person, yep. and kind of paint this stereotype. You know, yep.
1: yeah. So if you look, and most of the pictures that people know about our family in the feud, they're all holding guns. Well, those were staged photos, you know, uh, for for the papers back then. I have so many photos and stories that I can't wait to showcase when I get this bigger museum space um, that don't involve guns and right. So like uh,
0: ra- uh, you know, they were business business people and family Correct. around these Correct. conflicts. Correct. These conflicts weren't the, the entirety of their life.
1: No, no, nowhere even close. Nowhere even close. It was definitely, you know, a big worry for them. You know, everywhere the hat fence went out, they had to watch their backs. You know, um, you had bounty hunters coming at you left and right, you know, trying to capture you to get that big bounty. Um, but it definitely was not the center of their life. Lord, no. Um, Devil Ants at the end of his life, I uh, was ended up um, becoming Christian, turning to God, and was baptized out here in the creek right in front of the house.
0: No way! Yeah, and I have, have you a, ever been to one of those those river or creek baptisms? Oh yeah, I've been in one. Yeah, <laughs> wow. yep, growing up, been
1: to a lot of them, but I have a great photo out there in the museum of it as well. You know, when the devil turned to the Lord is you know kind of they talk about it. So it's it's pretty neat. You know, it's a lot of uh, really cool history, um, and our family history was so publicized. You know. Unfortunately, on the McCoy side, there's not a lot of photos. You know, people weren't as fascinated with Randall McCoy, the patriarch, unfortunately, as much as they were um, devil ants. So on the Hatfield side, we have so many photos, so many stories. um, But unfortunately, on the McCoy side, there's not a lot of that. So it's really hard for me to try to source uh, McCoy material for uh, the museum for that reason. Um, so also there as well, I, you know, I encourage anybody who has anything out there that may be, you know, um, great to display in the museum to reach out as well. Have you been to Europe and seen the old castle? No, I'm dying to go. You gotta go. Yeah, I'm dying to go. It would, it's definitely on my bucket list for sure. Um, but yes, I'm very much dying to go to that.
0: Mm.
1: I've already looked at the tickets. I've looked at the prices, Mm. hotels, everything on the cost of the trip, but I haven't been yet. Should we
0: do we need to wrap it? Are we done?
1: Where are we at? Yeah, I think I do actually. Yep.
0: Okay. Sorry about that. Hey, I appreciate this. This was a fast one, but this was so cool. I'm so pumped to have learned the story just straight through you. I appreciate you helping us preserve it. You know, every little
1: bit that we can do to keep the history alive and the culture, um, you know, out there, we're all game for it. So don't ever hesitate to reach out if you need anything else.
0: Have you shot any of
1: their war guns? No, I won't.
0: Cause I'm might, afraid because it might
1: blow them up might blow the barrel <laughs> yeah out or I'm afraid too yeah. Yeah, um, yeah you know they're they're too valuable to yeah. to do that yeah, I can't yeah. even imagine what its value is today um, but yeah no I won't I won't do it <laughs> I won't do it.